Hey everyone, welcome to episode 69 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast around North Carolina, wherever. Yeah, know, you we're, know. We're, we're, we're workshopping it. <laughs> uh, we are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Rapple. With me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey, Collins. How's it going, Chris? Not bad. How was regionals? I mean, I was there, so that's not like a real question, but... <laughs> yeah, we finally get to just like be with each other at these tournaments now instead of, you know, asking each other <laughs> on the podcast how, how our weekends went. Yeah, I mean, regionals was a lot of fun. I didn't do particularly well in regionals. Yeah. I ran back dredge. I think mostly kind of just because the week leading up to this, I was kind of doing stuff outside of Magic for the most part, so I was just going to run back, you know, mm-hmm. what I had already prepared for in Modern. And Dredge was, you know, it was fine. I I ended up picking uh, up another unintentional draw early on in this tournament, so Brutal. yeah, so I found myself in the draw bracket once again, which is like fine with dredge because you end up playing against a bunch of blue white control and mm-hmm. stuff right so your matchups are fine but you're also playing against more players who you're gonna have to be careful not to pick up yeah, more draws the, right and... the the elements that are a little outside of magic itself but you know still having to do with playing the game and everything mm-hmm. like you know your opponent keeping up the pace of play and everything being having to be on top of that as as much as i feel like you do have to while you're in the draw bracket is not great yeah but um, definitely some mental energy yeah. expended there but it was fine and you know the tournament was fun and and regionals is always nice because it's just a bunch of local friends mm-hmm. getting together and, and hanging out and stuff and that was a blast yeah um, it's fun to see dylan super excited about his list yeah, oh yeah yeah dylan dylan was messing around with a a new shadow list with mausoleum secrets yeah. as a, a tutor tutor card and he was super pumped about it and honestly it seems pretty interesting you know, he's rigged his shadow list to be a little more, you know, he's got a couple more cycle creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he borrowed two Architects of Will Architects from Architects of Will, yes, <laughs> yep, yep, is I think the one of the tech cards there, so definitely pretty cool to see, see you know, the innovation there and everything. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of Death Shadow specifically when I saw Mausoleum Secrets mm-hmm. spoiled, but it makes sense. You have a yeah. lot of really cheap, you know, black cards that oh, yeah. are that have a lot of utility and definitely powerful kind of obnoxious that you cannot search for flaying tendrils yeah (laughs) the one like three mana black sweeper that you might want to have access yeah yeah for sure but i mean you know speaking of flaying tendrils as like a sideboard card option i do think that the biggest strength of mausoleum secrets Mm -hmm. is in the post-board games when you have like one Rakdos charm yep. and one, you know, whatever your techie black sideboard card is. Yeah, usually some um, weird multicolored card. Surgical extraction. Or surgical extraction. You know, <laughs> just like a bunch of stuff um, that he showed me that he, you know, he could have access to post-board with the Mausoleum Secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty cool because, you know, because there are so many cards in Modern that are just like really bullets yep. in particular matchups, having access to like more of those is is always good. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, and especially if they're in like cheap black instants or sorceries, and then you can Snapcaster Mage them, like that really like gets you into right. a focused sideboard plan. Oh so yeah, it's, it's a very cool concept. Right. But yeah, I mean, modern whatever. We're not talking about modern today. Yeah, you know that's what we were doing this last weekend. But there's I I heard there was a bigger event. There's happening a pretty big weekend. tournament happening. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about the Pro Tour a lot today. Uh, before we get into stuff, want to definitely take a second to thank our patrons, newest patrons, Andrew and Mark. Really appreciate the support. If you'd like to become a patron, head over to Patreon.com/slash/MTGGrindcast. I sent out the first batch of tokens today, so if you haven't gotten me your address for your tokens and you are a patron, go ahead and hit me up, and I will make sure to get those out to you. Nice. And we also 
have hit, and I should have. We should have talked about this before the show, but um, <laughs> we got to schedule our our celebratory stream sometime soon. It's happening this week, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we'll definitely make sure to f- figure out a time for that and um, and post on our on our Discord when that's going to be going down. Yeah, so it'll probably be sometime. You know, this show will come out Thursday. And so it'll probably be sometime the week after that is okay. probably what will make sense, like, with announcement times and stuff. So. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Um, we'll, that should be a lot of fun. We'll hang out. We'll drink a couple of beers. We'll play some arena. We'll, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That sort of thing. Plenty of arena. I, I, I must admit, I've gotten onto the arena kick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just so easy. Especially now when you're just like, all right, time to jam some standard games. You can right. just sit down and just play standard for oh, so yeah. long. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So... But- uh, so let's uh, start off with a pro tour themed keeper mall. Yes. Yeah. So this is the the one of the hot topics from uh, yeah. from the pro tour. Yeah, I figured this would be a good thing to talk about. So uh, on the play in a pseudo mirror, we have a five card hand. You may recognize this one. Yeah. Uh, one land clifftop retreat. It's got a sky marcher aspirant, a conclave tribunal, a baffling end, and a pride of conquerors. So mm-hmm. we're at five. We have no resources, and if we mulligan, we go down to even fewer resources. Right. I mean, I know what I, you know, I've put a fair amount of thought into this hand, but I, I'd like to hear what, what you think before I pipe up. So, yeah, I mean, I have also put a, a decent amount of thought into this hand. It was pretty clear that everybody, or a majority of people wanted so, spoilers, this is LSV's hand from right. the finals of the Pro Tour. Which he did throw um, back. He did not right. think it was good enough. And I, 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 I saw on social media that the, the consensus that a lot of people had was that they would have kept this hand. Mm-hmm. And I, I get it. Uh, you have one land and spells. Um, and, you know, you have your scry. So if you hit into lands, then you can play magic. The biggest problem that I have with this hand is that in a matchup like the Mirror we know that being on the play versus being on the draw really, really changes your role, I mm-hmm. think, in this matchup a lot. If you're on the play, you are significantly advantaged if you can curve out and be the aggressor. Yep. If you can, you know, if you can be the one who's putting the pressure on the opponent and getting that first, you know, wave of attacks in, it's a huge advantage for you. So, and I think that it's really important that you... A, sideboard accordingly. Don't put in like too many reactive cards mm-hmm. in while you're on the play. And B, um, mulligan accordingly. I think that you do need to mulligan towards hands that are strong and proactive and kind of fit that bill of, of being on the play in this matchup. Mm-hmm. And this hand, while it does have lands and spells, the three... So we only have one creature, the Sky Matcher Aspirant. And the three spells that we have are all reactive. So we have Conclave, Tribunal, Baffling End, and Pride of Conquerors. Mm-hmm. So when we have reactive cards in our hand like this, we know that the game is going to play out in a certain way where we are going to be looking to trade resources. We're looking for spots where we can, uh, you know, like trade resources and make the game go longer. And that's just not at all what we want to be doing while we're on the play, especially especially when we're so low on resources. So I think that keeping this hand almost feels like you're just guaranteed to lose. Your opponent could even stumble, right? And that's like the most likely chance of you winning with the mulliganing so low is that your opponent stumbles and you can capitalize on on that by curving out and killing them. Right. But, but our pressure is a turn two Sky Marcher <laughs> Exactly, yeah. 
So, you know, so when our pressure is so little and, you know, and then we're just, like, waiting for our opponent to, like, cast our spells so that we can conclave Tribunal 1 and, and um, Baffling in another one, we're just, like, guaranteed to lose with this yeah, hand, I it just, feels like. I, I think that's just absolutely right. Like, yeah. I do not see a world where this hand wins a game of yeah. Magic. It, right. It's just not possible. Like, what whatever cards are on the top of your deck, even if it's, like, you know, planes... Okay, great. Like now we have a second land and right. we can cast our one drop yeah, anyways, and then like yeah. planes and then history of Benelli. Like we're still so behind. There's mm-hmm. no sequence of draws that like makes this hand work. Completely non-functional hand. Yeah. Given given what we understand how the games are going to play out, um, all that stuff. I I agree with LSV on this one. I think that you just cannot afford to keep this. I would rather go to four and look for any planes plus one drop hand. Yep. Because if I can lead on a one drop. And then cross my fingers that my opponent kept like a, you know, a one or two lander that's just not going to get there, right, or something. That's how. That's the the avenue that I can picture this hand or like winning this game at all at mm-hmm. this point. And this is already like a four card hand because Pride of Conquerors is so awful here. Right. Yeah. Pride, so, that's the other spell in the hand is like, Pride of Conquerors. That's just not doing anything. And, and I think one yeah. other thing, like I just think is this was a super disciplined mulligan mm-hmm. on LSV's part, which I think we can expect from an LSV with the fire in the top eight. Oh yeah. Um, and I, like the fact that the deck can deliver one drop with lifelink into a Johnny's Pride mate. Like, there is, like, this deck does have a god draw in it, mm-hmm. and it doesn't take that many cards. Right. Like, the the possibility of that being the four-card hand, right. like, gives you, like, the fact that you can mull to that, and that yeah. could win a game, I think that's a way higher percentage than hoping that this hand somehow does something. Yeah. yeah, I feel like if you're taking the action to mulligan this hand, you're increasing your win percentage from 0% to, like, 6%. Yeah. And it doesn't feel good, right? Because you're mulliganing four, but but if you look at it from the stance of, all right, I'm gonna ship the zero percenter and hope right. cross my fingers for a six percenter, then deal. Yep. 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 I I agree completely, and I think LS viewers are right on the nose. I had a second keeper mull just so we could, you know, because people have already been talking about that one a lot. So maybe if we can bring something a little new <laughs> to the table. So yeah, I've been playing a lot of arena. I've been playing a fair amount of various builds of the Phoenix decks yep. on arena. Um, what's really interesting are these games against control decks. Um, and so sometimes you get some interesting hands and, uh, I think that they really ask you to understand what's important in the matchup. Mm -hmm. Um, and so here's a hand that I had game two versus a Demir control deck. And this is a seven. It's steam vents, three sulfur falls, two crackling drakes, and an arc light phoenix. And this is, you know, my kind of thought process after playing a fair number of games with this deck. Kind of similar to the hand we talked about last week with all just all pieces of the puzzle against blue-white control mm-hmm. in modern. Early game versus control decks with this Phoenix deck, you're doing a lot of the same kind of stuff that Storm does, which is casting cantrips and just sculpting your hand. Yeah. Sculpting your hand. And you just want to have more threats than they have answers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, these crackling drakes right now are zero power guys. Yeah. But they only have, you know four-ish counter spells in their deck and sure. if, as long as you land a crackling drake you start to pull ahead very far yeah um and so the more crackling drakes you draw the better you do and also having arclight phoenix for when you do draw your radical ideas or whatever like the more arclight phoenixes you draw the more advantaged you are in the game right um also post board lands are very important because i you know you sideboarded into the niv mizzet plan so you don't mind having just a bunch of lands in your opening hand and then this deck is very good at tossing away excess lands 
So to me, this is one of those kind of weird looking hands that I was actually pretty happy to have versus a control deck, but it took me a second of like looking at it and being like, <laughs> okay, yeah, this is totally fine. Yeah, yeah. Plus, not to mention, you know, if if I'm getting a four mana against a control deck and I have an Arclight Phoenix, I'm probably just going to slam the Arclight yep. Phoenix. What are they going to do? Counter it? Use a spell to get rid of it? Great deal. I'm yep. going to, you know, it goes into my graveyard, hopefully. If they if they Vraska's Contempt it, that's one less removal spell they have for your Crackling Drake, exactly. which just kills yeah. them. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think I, I would I would definitely love to keep this hand. Yeah. Very interesting. The arena meta right now is surprisingly heavy on these black-based control decks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, we'll talk about, you know, matchups and stuff going forward while we're talking about the PT decks. Um, but I think, you know, the impetus there is that the removal spells are very good in the black-based control decks. But, boy, they have a really hard time of, like, locking games up, and they just... You know, once you're starting to get card advantage with Phoenixes, uh, it becomes so hard for them to win the game. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. We, so. I, I was watching a game, and I think that it was uh, Shoda against a uh, Is It Drake player mm-hmm. on the Pro Tour, and the Is It Drake player had no cards in hand, maybe like one Drake in the graveyard, and all he had out was the Firemines, um, the Firemines research, Firemines research, yeah. and Shoda had just like four cards in his hand. And was playing control. Mm-hmm. And this guy, you know, he just like drew a spell, played it, put a counter on his thing, drew another spell, played it, put a counter on his thing, used the counter, draw a card. You know, he's just like went off and, you know, and showed us like, you know, he's doing stuff. He's like casting his draw twos and flashing them back and everything, but he just got eventually buried by the ability to just bring back tons of phoenixes over and over again. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, that is, and that is one of the main decks from the PT. We've got basically for the rest of the episode, we're just going to talk through the PT and I think kind of go deck by deck because there are multiple versions of each deck and all of the like ways that the matchups play out are really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Number one, super cool to see LSV in the finals. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, super cool to see Andrew Ellenbogen win a PT. Huge shout out to Andrew Elben, uh, Ellenbogen, of course. I, you know, we've interacted a bunch on the Star Cities tour. And it's just really cool to see him, you know, have, have that kind of success. It was awesome. Yeah, super nice guy, super, like, humble, and yeah, just, yeah, a, yeah. just a cool dude. So, congrats to him. That top eight. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Six History of Benalia-based White Weenie decks. Look, I mean, I'm not going to say I called it, <laughs> but I, I think I called it. <laughs> well, but, yeah, and, and, but the crazy thing is... If we go look at like the the twenty four plus win decks, there's only four history of Penalia decks in there. Right. Yeah. They just yeah. like because of limited rounds and mm-hmm. like you know mixed format and stuff, it really I, I don't know like like the top eight I think distracts from what the metagame actually looks like. Like these yeah. decks are good. No, I mean that's a that's a really important point that you're making. Um, just because we had six like white weenie style decks in the top eight, mm-hmm. if you actually look at like the breakdown of the standard decks only and you see all of like the eight and twos and above mm-hmm. there the percentage of white weenie decks that were having that winning record was similar to many of the other decks in right. the um in the metagame it just kind of happened that those were the decks that ended up breaking out into the top eight yeah and i think you know like lsv posted that something like channel fireballs limited win rate was like 83% and their constructed win rate was like 44%. So, (laughs) right. There are some draft wins carrying some of these decks. Right, for sure. 
But yeah, pretty interesting. Even like within the top eight, yeah, we had a bunch of red-white aggro decks, but there were multiple different builds. So I guess, you know, we can just sort of go into these decks yeah, first. Let's do it. Uh, they, they all are based around having just a ton of one-mana creatures. Yes. Super important. There's a ton of borderline playable ones in standard, and you just get to take your pick based on what other cards you have in your deck. Probably the most heavily played one going forward is going to be just taking LSV's list because everybody loves LSV and yes. in second place. Well, Andy also had this kind of like cool build with a Johnny's Pride Mate right. that he was playing. He was playing a Johnny's Pride Mate and Leonin. Uh, Leon and Van Vanguard, Vanguard. Leon and Vanguard, Leon and Vanguard, and then the the Healer's Hawks, right? As kind of like this, like you know, combo, I guess, uh, synergy I, yeah. is, is a better word. The the life really gain an, synergy is, is was really strong. I think it's been like widely called like an intro deck. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's sure. really kind of what it feels like. Yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, it was really awesome to see that because I early on in this format I was tinkering around with that exact combination yeah cool um which was fun i had the lean and uh vanguards and the uh, johnny's primates in my early white weenie deck mm -hmm. i quickly dropped them but i can see how the metagame just kind of shifted into a, a spot where that just became really strong again because it was very clear that in the white weenie mirrors right a johnny's pride mate was king it, you know if you just like have a 4-4 and all of your opponent's creatures are all smaller it just gives you a huge advantage in the early game yeah and the incidental life gain as well uh they mm. were talking about you know this really is a deck that was designed to the the goal was to be the best be the good deck in the format the threat yeah. deck the red white deck and also win the mirrors right. and the way it does that is that you know a giant's pride mate is huge and that incidental life gain means that the heroic reinforcements in all the opponent's decks, because this deck didn't play heroic reinforcements, but that incidental life gain means that the heroic reinforcements in your opponent's decks actually just isn't that good. Mm -hmm. Because basically anytime you cast heroic reinforcements and it doesn't either like kill your opponent or give you an overwhelming board advantage because they're forced into chump blocking, it's yeah. not actually doing that much. Right. If you heroic reinforcements and attack and take your opponent from like 18 to 11 or something like that, and then they just start cracking back, it wasn't very effective. Yeah. So I think that's the idea behind the life gain here. I don't know how well it actually worked out since really only LSV out of that crew like had a, a very strong constructed record, yeah. but that's certainly the idea there and i've 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 played the deck some and it, it works it, like it, it works sometimes um yeah i don't know how big of a percentage gain you get from that yeah it's it's definitely tough to tell but uh but i think that what we can tell is that the the white weenie archetype is definitely one of the one of the stronger like just a very strong element of standard right now it's i think it's kind of established itself as as one of the uh the larger pieces of yeah <laughs> it's definitely one of the like I'd say maybe there's like five big decks right now, and there's certainly other ones you can play, but this and all of its variations is definitely one of them, and maybe the top one right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how do we beat this deck? You know, what are what are the bad matchups? What are the good? Why why does this deck exist in the first place? And then what what are reasons to make this deck not exist or to make yourself happy to get paired up against it? Well, so if we're just kind of like looking at the history of this standard um the first deck that set the bar for the power level of standard was golgari midrange sure that deck was you know i think that we've had like our first like big standard results on magic online mm -hmm. i think it was the the mocks maybe or or one of the early ptqs was just flooded with golgari yeah um and we were like 
oh no, this yeah, is it over already? <laughs> you know. Um, but I honestly, looking back, I think that it was just because when everybody else was brewing, like you know, their standard decks, um, Golgari was kind of the easy one to get right, and and it like set the power level bar of your brews need to be this good to mm-hmm. to to win in standard. And for a long time, they weren't there yet. Um, but eventually, people tuned and tuned and tuned, and eventually, the Arclight Phoenixes decks surpassed Golgari. I think, yeah, just definitely. because people figured out the correct combination of cards there. And so, yeah, I think that that deck eventually surpassed, and we saw a dominance of that deck. And then, uh, you know, some other, like, also at the same time, um, people realized, you know, how busted heroic reinforcements was in these white weenie shells. So people started playing uh, the white weenie shells just with the smaller red splash for Mm -hmm. that deck. And I think that that had success because it played really well against um, the control decks of the format, and it played really well against the Is It Drake's deck. I think the probably the most lopsided matchup right now in standard is is it Drake's versus the mono white decks. Just because the only thing that the is it Drake's decks were doing, at least in their current iterations, were the first couple of turns were just purely cantrips. Mm-hmm. And you know, post sideboard they had like a couple more you know cheap removal spells to bring in so that they had something better to do in the early turns. And that's I think moving forward, I don't think that the matchup is going to be up as lopsided because mm-hmm. I know that the Is It Drake decks are going to adapt and have more interact- interaction so that they aren't getting run over in the early turns. Yep. But f- but because the early iterations of the Is It Drake decks were so cantrip heavy, they didn't play many shocks or you know or that kind of removal spell. When you play that matchup, it was like, Is It Drake decks in the first three turns were just casting cantrips <laughs> and dying to the mono-white decks. <laughs> yeah, what's so. really interesting is... Um, there was a, a breakdown that somebody did. Uh, I saw it posted on on the Spikes subreddit, uh, and they sort of like took all the information they had about people's deck lists and, and pairings and stuff, and it looked like the Phoenix decks actually came out on top of the White Weenie decks in head-to-head matchups in the mm-hmm. Pro Tour. Small sample size, and I, I don't think that that accurately reflects the matchup, because that's been my experience, too, is that especially Adanto Vanguard is just like a problem with a capital oh, yeah. P. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, I think a lot of the Pro Tour decks were Enigma Drake decks, which has been kind of a more recent innovation, and having that four-toughness blocker I, I think is going to be very important going forward. If you want to play Drakes, I think playing Enigma Drake is, is yeah, really important. It, you just need the extra speed these days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I definitely saw one match where, you know, the Izzard Drake deck was just able to turn the corner on the White Weenie deck just because it went Enigma Drake into Enigma Drake into Kill You, effectively. Yep. You know, and that's like two walls, and that immediately turned the corner and, and had a pretty quick clock. So yeah, um, I've even seen uh, like electrostatic field in the sideboards just because it's got four toughness. You know, effectively yeah. like pacifisms and a Danto Vanguard. Right. Um, until they get a, a a plus one plus one counter on it or a, a Benelish Marshal in play or something. But yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, I mean, like, like there's pretty specific ways that I think the Drake decks need to make sure to adapt in order to to deal with these aggressive decks. The the White Weenie deck is like whatever the Pro Tour results are. Like my experience has reflected that completely. The yeah. the White decks are really hard for the Drake decks. Yeah, that's that's you know I, I haven't looked at a lot of statistics surrounding that, but that's just what I feel is true based on my experience as mm-hmm. well. So just that that does seem to be how it plays out Mm -hmm. uh and and like i have also seen pros talking about their testing results and stuff and like pretty much everybody agrees that that drakes is significantly behind there 
But, you know, Drakes can tune their deck to be mm-hmm. probably even further ahead. You know, if they start sideboarding, like, some some pirate clasms mm-hmm. and just, like, more shocks in the main deck. Yeah, I mean, I've only uh, been playing builds that have the four shocks in the okay. main. I think it just yeah, makes, it just makes, makes sense, sense. For sure. Yeah, like, um, it kills a lot in standard right now for one mana. But, on you know, I think that in order to keep up, you, you need probably even more than just, like, the four shocks. Definitely. You, just, you, Definitely. Know, you, you need to be able to have your early turns be interactive. Because if your early turns are just casting these two mana cantrips, you're going to have a bad time. Right. Yep. I, I completely agree. Uh, it's it's interesting that the balance that needs to be found... I guess we're, we're kind of just talking about Drake's now, but I've had a lot of fun fooling around with these decks. Uh, the But the balance that you need to be able to find between spells and creatures, you know, there's all sorts of different mixes. Like Pascal Viren, who went 10-0 at the Pro Tour, um, had no... Uh, Enigma Drakes mm-hmm. in his in his seventy five. He was right. just on four Phoenixes, three Crackling Drakes, three Electromancers, and a Murmuring Mystic as his his creature base. Which I also think Murmuring Mystic is a very powerful yeah, sideboard I, card, if nothing sure. else. But like like Yuya went like kind of all out on creatures with four Electromancers, four Enigma Drake, three Crackling Drake, and the four Phoenixes. Yeah. And I don't know at what point you start to run too low on spells. You know, my I've been leaning towards cutting electromancers uh it's a little tough because then you're giving up points in your good matchups like like my my sort of feeling on drake's place in the metagame is that it is very very good at outgrinding the slower decks and Mm -hmm. even like the very the modern builds of golgari have a really tough time of just dealing with all of these flying threats that it can keep generating over and over again. Yeah. Uh, and the control decks in particular are pretty cold to it, but it gets run over pretty hard by White Weenie and is a little bit behind against Mono Red. Yeah. Electromancer, you know, there's a, there's a couple different broad versions. There's the versions with no Electromancers and a bunch of the one red mana cantrips. That version has a harder time against the control decks because the the powerful cantrips like Chart of Course and Discovery Dispersal and Tormenting Voice, having like a, a large number of those is very good for hand sculpting, whereas like Warlord's Fury doesn't do anything to like get you better cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that you know, that version with no Electromancers and probably like four Enigma Drakes and lots of really cheap cantrips is certainly gonna be better against the aggressive decks. But you're also giving up points in those good matchups, yeah, and yeah. and that's maybe too much of a sacrifice. Yeah. Like it takes a lot. I think it will take a lot of testing to really get there on it. Yeah, that makes sense. So we saw a few. You know, even now the Golgari mid range builds are not settled. Yeah, at all. If we're, yeah, I mean, so transitioning over to talk about Golgari, I think Golgari had a pretty horrendous pro tour. Just kind of looking at the numbers that I saw, the one kind of like statistic that I mapped out was, uh, you know, we're given the number of each decks that are that have a particular record, right? Mm-hmm. So one thing that I did was I, I put that in an Excel sheet and I could just kind of like graph it out to see kind of like the the distribution for each deck, for each archetype mm-hmm. of of what their final records were for for the decks that were had a winning record. Yeah, and you could just see that the for for these white weenie decks, for example, they definitely like peaked at seven wins. It mm-hmm. looked like so we had like a couple of six win decks that were red, you know, the red white aggressive deck, but like more at like seven wins and then a little less. For, for eight wins and a little less for, you know, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And then we had the ones in the top eight. 
Um, so, but we could tell just that the spread was like, you know, peaking at like seven. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like pretty indicative of like the, the general win percentage of that deck. Mm. Looking at Golgari though, Golgari was the most represented. So it has, it had the most numbers, mm -hmm. but you could just tell that the peak for the, the win rate of the, these Golgari decks was lower than six wins okay. because the six ones had the most for Golgari and then it went down significantly to for seven wins like less seven win Golgari decks and then even like maybe one or two like eight win mm -hmm. Golgari decks but you can just tell just based on the trend that the peak of that like normal curve essentially was below that six win makes sense rate that we get to see in the in the winner's percentage so you could just tell that like you can imagine how that peak would continue on to like the the losing records mm -hmm. where it, i you know because because there were so many golgari decks the outliers you're just going to have outliers that have winning records of because sure. so many people are, are playing that deck. But you can just tell that on average that deck's win percentage was very very low. I think that I think that Golgari got trounced that, at the Pro Tour. Yeah, I mean I've got this this uh, MTG Goldfish sort of breakdown of conversion rates and stuff, and mm. it's Golgari's performance isn't just like atrocious, but it it did better. It did worse than average at you know converting to day two, and it did worse than average at each of those like point uh, thresholds. So it was uh, it was probably the worst widely played deck mm -hmm. at the Pro Tour. Yeah. Um. And and I, looking through, you know, I think it's kind of because it, it really is a control deck in a lot of these matchups, mm -hmm. and if your answers are not lining up correctly then your deck's not going to be very good and i think a lot of people playing this deck may have sort of mispredicted the field mm -hmm. going into the pro tour yeah yeah I, I think you know a lot of these seem pretty built to attack I, they just don't seem to be totally ready for these white weenie decks um and i think it can be you can build uh golgari to beat white weenie but if you don't, uh, you are just going to die to it. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, there's just no Plague Mares whatsoever. <laughs> right. I, like, yeah. that that seems very crazy. To, I mean, like, it, it, it's certainly possible that these these players knew something I, I don't know. But, like, Red White was a known entity going into this weekend. I mean, maybe they were just confident that having wild growth walkers is enough and wild yeah. growth walker is great uh it becomes very hard to win with white weenie after you've triggered it a couple of times yeah absolutely and and like the goal of the so the way that this matchup plays out i think is pretty much just the goal is to get to finality and then yeah. finality and keep a creature in play and then you pretty much win from there mm -hmm. Um, and Wild Growth Rocker is incredible with that plan, both being the creature that you can <laughs> right. put the counters on and yeah. getting you to that point. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, if you don't draw the Wild Growth Walker itself, the Explore guys are not good enough to stop getting killed by the one drops. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, for sure. I, it feels like Golgari definitely had like a very stock game plan of put up creatures. Mm-hmm. And put planeswalkers behind them, and hopefully that's good enough to win. Yeah. And when that like uh, when that structure is no longer functions as like a winning structure, for example, against like the Isa Drake decks, mm -hmm. you just like can't count on your creatures yep. to to save you. And then also, I think that just the way like the way that you're adding to the board is just a little slower 
than the, these mono white decks, and even smaller in a lot of cases than these mono white decks. Mm -hmm. um, you're just going to get run over trying to do that. Yeah, and Adanto Vanguard, still a huge problem for oh, these yeah. decks too. For sure. Not to mention the fact that all the second most played creature in this Pro Tour was the Honor Guard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah, that's just everywhere, you know? And then if somebody plays that against you and you're like, oh, um, my deck does nothing. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, so much for my Wild Growth Walkers. I think a lot of people on the... We saw a surprising number of Doom Whispers in these lists, uh, mm -hmm. especially the more successful ones, Yeah, um, which I think was a good call for this weekend. Yeah. Just, you know, the Planeswalker plan, while pretty powerful, uh, and they can be important in the mirrors, it just, like, you can't just sit there and get card advantage. Six mana, six mana Vraska against the white deck, against the red deck, is just not getting the job done at yeah. least putting that blocker into play and then threatening to kill them quickly is, is doing a thing yeah we did see vivian reed is apparently the most j just seems to be the most uncuttable planeswalker from these decks yeah 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 um it does a lot in that deck for yeah. sure it's a planeswalker that you can sit you know have have sit behind your creatures and also it takes out the flyers that are mm -hmm. often a problem it, i think that flying people definitely recognize that flying is a really important keyword in in standard right now i feel it feels like all of the major decks except for or even golgari has access to the the doom whispers mm -hmm. and then you know even the white weenie decks have are playing things like the ascend to unflyer for one mm -hmm. and um some decks were playing the uh, the healing hawks some decks were playing the the rustwing falcons yep. just like cre like cre bodies that if you can make bigger are just like a, a real threat in the air are just super effective yeah definitely um so you know, uh, blue white tempo went ten zero at the Pro Tour. So, <laughs> you know, if that, if that deck's having success, then you know the flying keyword means something. Oh, mono blue tempo. Oh, what did I say? Blue white tempo. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Not blue white tempo. Mono blue tempo went ten zero. Yeah, I, I mean, that that boggles a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the deck. You know, it, it, if you play out threats and have dive down to protect, and you just like get them. Yeah, Curious right. Obsession is a powerful yeah. card. I, honestly, <laughs> the the two major cards in that deck are Curious Obsession and the uh, the Tempest Gen. Yep. And if you if you're trying one of those consistently, then you're, you're fine. Gonna, you're gonna do great. <laughs> it is it is actually pretty strong against Green Black and against the Control decks. Uh, it kind of has a very similar like matchup profile to the Drake decks. Yeah. And and you know it it almost feels like it's just kind of doing what the Drake decks are trying to do. A little worse mm -hmm. a lot of the time so um I, I think it kind of it trades down on consistency but up on like kind of speed like uninteractable draws a little bit yeah and also merfolk trickster is like surprisingly impressive oh yeah for sure just a lot of utility to that card that people don't really see yeah yeah like it, it just like eats Adanto Vanguards and uh, <laughs> yeah. eats uh, Gitu Lava Runners and like taps down big flyers and stuff like that. It just like does a it, lot of you things. You know, if if it's double blocking with something else, it can eat uh, any of the Drakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it turns them into O4s. Right. Like, they don't fly. You just block it with your, your flash guy and just some other dude that you left back. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it does a surprising amount of working. That's the one card that, like, gives the deck... The deck is completely inflexible, mm -hmm. except for when it is doing a Merfolk Trickster turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, interesting deck that I probably... 
you know, I've messed around with it on Arena. It just like playing against Goblin Chain Whirler feels so bad that I put it down for a while. Although the the entrancing melody tech out of the blue decks does a lot to transform those kinds of matchups. Um, yes, I've seen true. it. Uh, you know, it's it's not a great answer to Adanto Vanguard, but it is great against, you know, like a Steamkin that's getting out of control. It can deal with a Chain Whirler. It can even just take a Phoenix once you get up to that amount of mana. So it's not a great card, but a necessary card, I think, um, mm-hmm. that sometimes leads to, like, pretty huge blowouts. Yeah, for sure. So any predictions on w- where the standard metagame is going to go from here? I really do like Drake's with Enigma Drake in yeah. it. I think both Drakes, is it Drakes and Golgari are the two decks that are going to benefit the most from having a better understanding of what's going on in the mm-hmm. format, and that's just what happens after the Pro Tour, is yeah. that we see all the information. And once that's true, I think that both of those decks are going to be able to be tuned pretty well towards what we're expecting. I yeah. think that the Golgari decks are definitely going to either die out completely or <laughs> you know a, a kind of a new green black build is going to surface that's much more specified towards fighting the three i think major archetypes which are white weenie is it drakes and control decks yep i think that those three decks are probably going to be the pillars of standard moving forward um i think that is it drakes decks are also going to be adapting a little bit as well moving forward so that they don't get crushed by the white weenie decks anymore mm-hmm. And also Control is going to be the other deck that I expect to see more of moving forward just because of the fact that, you know, it's also just going to be able to tune pretty well towards yeah. the pillars. Knowledge so. serves the the Control, control decks very yeah, well. Historically, for sure. So we want to talk about those Control decks a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, like the Jeskai decks were definitely the most popular. You know, they, they got run over a little bit at the Pro Tour, but we did see one make the top eight. Right. I just, yeah, and I think that probably that was just because they were all so dead to Adonto Vanguard. Yep. There were so many Adonto Vanguards in the tournament. It was the most blade creature at the tournament, and none of them seemed prepared to deal with that card at all. If it resolved, they just eventually died to it, it seems like. <laughs> so that's not a good place to be in. You, you want some other stuff. Right? Yeah. Saw only a couple of lists that ran the seal away in place of lava coil that's kind of the, yeah, the yeah, exile yeah. removal slot. Mm-hmm. Um, and while, you know, lava coil is a lot better against everything that's not Adonto Vanguard, I think. Yeah. Uh, seal away just is probably necessary, yeah. so you don't just scoop to it. And in tons of matchups, seal away is kind of just the same card. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little less flexible on when you can cast it. Yep. Um, Which is a big problem against, like, dive down and stuff. True, true, for sure. But uh, but I just think that it's such a necessary effect to yeah. have against Adonto Vanguard. Yep. Um, because if they, you know, I, I've definitely played a couple of matches on, on Arena where, you know, I just, like, I, I make sure to resolve my Adonto Vanguard through removal spell, or through counter spell, and then, yeah, after that, I'm just, just I just watch it win. Doesn't matter. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, like, you cast my other spells just to make them do other stuff, and then it just gets there. So, yeah, I mean, Sealway definitely is the, it seems like a necessary card to have. Yep. So, the Jeskai decks, we mostly saw... The removal package is basically like Justice Strike, Lava Coil, Deafening Clarion. Sometimes they'd have a couple 
of the the wrath effect from m19 that i'm forgetting the name of cleansing nova yes cleansing nova uh yeah sometimes they'd have a couple of cleansing nova sometimes they'd have a couple of coas but a lot of these removal packages seemed pretty unprepared for indestructible guys in particular yeah um most of the decks that did well had crackling drakes which i think is just a very good very important card to have in the deck right now it allows you to other decks if you don't have a way to clock they can just kind of guarantee that they will draw into banefire or carnage tyrant and kill you with one of those two cards Mm -hmm. and crackling drake solves the carnage tyrant problem by blocking it solves the banefire problem by killing them before they hit like 14 mana or whatever they want to hit. really important factors yeah sure and on top of that just you know in any matchup out of that control deck i feel like you're pretty happy to play a card that cantrips Mm -hmm. And then represent something that they have to get out of the way. You yeah. know, if they're a creature beatdown deck, they their best play is to uh, you know exile it with a conclave tribunal. But you're fine with that. You know, they had to they had to spend a resource getting mm-hmm. rid of your card, and then you know, and then they continue to attack in or whatever. But you know, if they don't have the answer, then it's just a a a, a, a wall. Yeah, almost. four toughness is very good at blocking in this format if yeah. it stays in play. So yeah, I can totally see that being a pretty big part of the control decks. Yeah, it's a little hard to find a balance in in my experience. Just like the number of cards in the four mana slot, like tends to be pretty high because Chemistry's Insight is good, and yeah. you need some number of them. Yeah, and it's hard to just jam your deck full of Crackling Drakes <laughs> and Chemistry's Insights. Right. So. Right. But you know, like a three three or something like that, I think is is perfectly doable. Um, we also saw a reasonable number of main deck Niv Mizzets in these lists yeah which you know certainly very good in the mirror not so good against vivian reed not so good against the aggressive decks just because it costs so much mana mm-hmm. so i'm not i'm not 100 percent behind obviously if you ever untap with it you win right it i mean it's just as close to as an untap with this card mm-hmm. and win card mm-hmm. i think it is we have you know that and kind of like lyra as well is is kind of similar sometimes yeah at least in the creature um, matchups yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you if you untap with it and if miss it, it's just it just ends the game. Yeah, I uh, I was drafting on arena and I had a if miss it out, <laughs> and I I was able to cast it, and then I was kind of like you know really deliberating on about what my next turn would look like. I was like, okay, so I'm gonna have to do this and draw two cards, and then I get to ping those and blah blah blah, and then I just like started doing it, and my opponent conceded, and I was like. <laughs> Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, because um, you're thinking, like, what's the... At, at that point, when you're untapping with it, you're thinking, like, what are the worst cards in their hand for me that they could possibly have? But right. your opponent knows that he has, like, <laughs> guild gates and a, a glaive of the guild pack or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, But, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely impressed with the power level of that card, so I can see why people want access to it. But I agree, it should probably be a sideboard card, because I think that cards like that are, A better in specific matchups mm-hmm. and be just better post board i just don't really see nimbus as a strong game one card yeah. like how many game ones come down to uh all right well resolve my nimbus and and now i get to go off where you weren't already gonna win as a control player yeah right like the the green black decks like still have their two main deck cast downs in because mm-hmm. they need to solve the main yeah. deck to cotley honor guards that they're dealing with or whatever and they just right so plus if you're playing a control deck and then you slam a nivmiz it and that's how you win your game one then your opponents aren't going to take out their removal spells post right which is one of the bigger percentage points that you can get out of being a control deck is that like you know maybe they take out too many of their answers to these cards that i'm bringing in 
I don't know. I'm not a fan of it in the main deck. I would I would keep it as a as a, like probably a two of in the sideboard. But I'd be very happy to have it in, in my sideboard as a two of. So yeah, I don't know. I have been incredibly impressed with it out of the sideboard of mm-hmm. the Phoenix decks. Yeah, just yeah. against the control decks in the mirror. You know, I, I played a mirror where just I was ahead all game. Like I drew more phoenixes. Like I like he was having to trade. My opponent was having to trade like shocks for phoenixes that I didn't spend a card on, and I was just up so many cards. But he hit seven mana and put Niv Mizzet into play, and <laughs> yeah. I thought if he's got dive down, I think I just lose this game. Right. I had a ton more resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my beacon bolt resolved. If it didn't resolve there, like he'd draw a card off of my beacon bolt, draw a card off of his dive down. I wouldn't <laughs> be able to kill his Niv Mizzet. Yeah, he'd untap with it and have like he'd untap with like five cards in hand and a Niv Mizzet. Easy game. I would just lose. So, um, yeah, definitely impressed with that card. It's quite a card. Right. And in standard, I think it's just easier to cast than people expect it to be. Yeah, it's so easier than Is I it thought mana it would bases be. Are, are, they're clean. You know, we have eight uh, dual lands that mm-hmm. we are happy to play because they come into play untapped. Yep. So it seems solid for sure. Yep. And I, you know, especially in the Phoenix decks, even though you're only running like 21, 22 lands, right. like cantrips and choosing like, all right, well, I don't need this third mountain. Like it becomes very easy to get yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, the yeah. mana that you need. Mm. And you're already kind of making that decision because of the crackling drakes a little bit, mm-hmm. where you're, you know, sometimes you're on like, you know, island, island, mountain, and you like scry another island, and I'm like, all right, well, but I, don't... I can just bottom that, right? Yep. So you do, you do have control uh, to a certain extent over which lands you're seeing, so it's good. Yeah, just that combo of the constant threat of arc light phoenix. Firemind's research in the early game to just set up an unstoppable late game, yeah. and then just like a Niv-Mizzet turn against the control decks. Like, I do not know how to set up a control deck to like respond to that post-board plan out of Phoenixes. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. too many threats. And one of the big things... So I want to talk about these Demir decks a little bit. Yes. Uh, holy crap, enchantments are a terrible problem for these Demir <laughs> decks. <laughs> yeah. Um... Like, I, I, I like the core of the Demir deck. The yeah. black removal is extremely good right now. Mm-hmm. Fungal infection is the bee's knees. I, I've always loved fungal infection. <laughs> it's so good. People just don't understand. And also, right now that everybody's playing these white weenie decks, mm-hmm. it's just two for one for one mana. Yeah, and one of, that? one of the two is their Adonto Vanguard. <laughs> right? Yeah, it kills their Adonto Vanguard. It's so crazy. It yeah. also... It, it kills Gitu Lava Runner and leaves a 1-1 behind unless it was already a 2-2. Right. Like, it, it kills Viachino Pyromancer and leaves a 1-1 behind. Gitu Lava Runner, it kills... So if it's a... Oh, if they're if attacking with it as a 1-2 on, sure. like, turn 2 or you something. You can eat it with the 1-1. One, one. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, it kills the 2-1 the wizard guy that Red plays. It yep. kills a ton of stuff. Absolutely. Just against the aggressive decks, it's very good. It's, you know, it doesn't... I mean, even against Golgari, like, at least you can respond to the Explore Trigger and kill some guys. It's terrible in the control matchups but all of your removal spells are terrible in those mm-hmm. mirrors so i you can just make a one one on your yeah, you know sure your whatever if you have anything <laughs> yeah so i mean like the removal suite between fungal infection moment of craving cast down uh ritual soot is fine yeah i mean it, it at least like what i do like is especially compared to like fiery cannonade the fact that it deals with any sort of benelish marshal board where Fiery Cannonade sometimes just gets outsized. Um, Deafening Clarion usually does the job and is just kind of better than Ritual of Soot, but Ritual of Soot is fine. Right. It is a sweeper. 
uh, so like that removal package is really good and the I, I actually do kind of like disinformation campaign to like give you a weapon in those yeah. those control mirrors yeah. although there aren't really enough surveil cards that you want to run to make it work like you've got to run some number of discovery dispersal which is not great yeah in that deck so it's yeah. kind of questionable thought erasure is fine but um past that it, it gets a little bit thin the the real problem so so like you can construct that deck with plans with good removal that matches up very well against the aggressive decks in the field mm-hmm. good card advantage stuff that matches up pretty well against the slow decks but the problem is that there's just a bunch of enchantments that kill you yeah right <laughs> Postboard Firemines research? Oh, yeah. You can just scoop pretty much. <laughs> it feels like it, yeah. And Experimental Frenzy is just in all of the aggro decks. Mm-hmm. And you can deal with all of their cards, and then they slip an Experimental Frenzy down without you, like, on a turn you can't counter it. Yeah. You, you, like, Game unless over. you get really lucky. Right. Because even, even, like, with these Doom Whisperer builds, like, Doom Whisperer is going to take at least three attacks to kill them. That's a lot of turns for them to just rebuild and, and finish you off yeah. and and i don't it, it doesn't seem like a solvable problem without going all the way to like you know esper or something which yeah right and it's just it's just a consequence of the grixis color pie mm-hmm. part of the grixis color pie is that they can't touch enchantments yeah. they just can't do it none of no, none of those colors are allowed to do that right and that just kind of also reminds me of that match that i was watching of shota versus fireman's research mm-hmm. And I was looking at Shoto with, like, four cards in his hand, a bunch of lands against an opponent with a bunch of lands, and just a Fireman's Research, and I was like, wow, Shoto's pretty far behind here. It's <laughs> just yeah. like, because I, I just know, based on looking at Shoto's colors that he's playing, that he's not going to be able to answer that. Honestly, Shoto could have had ten cards in hand, right. and he probably would have been behind at that point. Yeah, like, it's crazy. So that's, that's a very real and very significant weakness of the deck, and especially because of the presence of experimental frenzy in the main deck of all of the red decks and in the sideboards of all of the white red decks mm-hmm. it's just a serious problem teferi minusing on an experimental frenzy usually doesn't work out particularly well even if you are esper um yeah so you got to get lucky with thought erasure or something this is a weird problem it's a very weird problem to deal with um i know some people have been espousing selesnia going forward yeah, um, we did a, see a, a, a small amount of that, mm-hmm. in, at least in the in the metagame breakdown. Yeah, at, um, but I didn't I didn't end up seeing a ton of it on camera. No, we definitely didn't see it on camera. Hold on, let me see if I can pull up some information about how it actually did. So it looks like it was one of the better minor decks in the field. Yeah, uh, it, like thirty eight percent of its day one players uh, ended up with eighteen points in constructed, which is you know. Uh, reasonably above expectation so it's it lined up, lined up pretty well against the field and going forward in particular if you draw sapperling migration against the white weenie decks you're in a pretty good spot <laughs> early yeah. game yeah and then anytime you you follow that up with a tristani then you're you're very ahead against these creature decks mm-hmm. so could be an interesting way to go going forward is to go back to like the format's level zero deck. yeah this was the level zero deck wasn't it yeah i mean this card definitely or this deck it definitely seems like it has uh like decent tools that line up relatively well mm-hmm. you know you, you can definitely have a lot of game against these white weenie decks and then also just like your post board plans and other matchups seem really strong yeah i'm looking at uh the eight and two deck from kenta at yeah the pro tour um 
he had the kind of the tech, I guess, of Adanto Vanguards in his in his what in his Selesnya deck. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that that's just going to be common moving forward, just yeah. just because of that card's so good. In it kind of solos games. So. It, yeah, yeah. Um, so it seems really smart to put it in here. But even though it's not a card that you would think about putting in your like mm-hmm. grindy mid range deck, um, just like a good recognition that that card is uh, really strong in the game. Yep. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I think. One thing that also makes a lot of sense to me going forward is probably putting a couple of Lyras in the sideboard of this deck. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it puts opponents on aggressive decks in a weird spot where they don't really want Conclave Tribunal against your, like, Sapperling Migration Tristani Venerated Loxodon deck. Yeah. But if they don't get rid of Lyra, they can't win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just very good against both the the red decks and the the white decks, so... I, I definitely would look out for Lyra's out of the sideboard of this kind of deck in the future. Yeah, for sure. I think we've talked about all the major archetypes. Yeah. What are you playing going forward? Have you been impressed with anything in particular I, recently? We're reaching a point in standard where that I love, which mm-hmm. is right after the Pro Tour, we get to see all the information, and I get to tune decks to what I know is going to be good against the field. Okay. So I, I really like that part. And the one deck that I'm really excited to tune up is the Is It Drake's deck. Okay. So I think that, that I'm I'm probably, after we're done recording this podcast, I'm going to go over and sit in my computer and <laughs> brew up my own Is It Drake's list. Because I think I have a pretty good idea of the Is It Drake's plans post-board in all of the matchups. Like the cards that you really need to focus on. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably just going to kind of from the ground up try to ignore looking at lists and just like try to build from the ground up my own is it drake's deck that i think is going to be good mm-hmm. against the major archetypes and just kind of see where i end up and so see what's, if it looks what, what's the philosophy here what are we thinking about to start so well i kind of like going matchup by matchup right okay. so if we want to start with um the red white deck for mm-hmm. example the red white deck really make, wants me makes me want to have um enigma drakes yep so i think that we're going to start off um, you know, if I'm just like brewing in my head right now, yeah, yeah. vocally, I'm probably going to throw four Nygma Drakes in the main deck. Um, I know that I'm going to want a certain number of interaction. Mm-hmm. Probably like six is a decent number of like turn one to two interaction pieces. I'd probably start with four shocks and two lava coils, Lava coils, but that might turn to like three lava coils yeah. at some point, just because I think that card's really strong. Um, so probably three lava coils, four shocks is going to be my interaction. Mm-hmm. And then probably one dive down in the main deck, just because it's a cool gotcha card. That <laughs> a lot of people, I like those. The more, and um, once you have a bunch of drakes. Yes, and and because I am expecting to go more on the drakes, mm-hmm. heavier on the drakes than normal, I, I do like the dive downs. And I, I would probably even, if I'm just like brewing around, would pro- throw like three dive downs in the sideboard just to sit there mm. while I brew. Because dive down, I think, is one of the more important cards in the control matchups mm-hmm. just because of the fact that the is it that all the drakes just kill your control opponent yes uh dive down i think is such a strong card so i'd probably while i'm brewing have that in my mind and go all right let's throw for now three dive downs in the sideboard one in the main these numbers are gonna gonna get shaved for mm-hmm. sure but just to just to have um and then i'll probably throw like two or three negates in the sideboard just as a reminder that that's the plan that i'm thinking about mm-hmm. but then yeah so my matchup i'd against the white weenie decks um i think you know the the pirate clasm is is going to be a really big element there so i'll probably go ahead and throw three of those in the sideboard and then I'd, i would think more about other like bullet cards against white weenie like other other cards that really i like give me a plan in those matchups 
but between all of the removal spells and the sweepers and stuff, I think that I you know should be relatively set there. Mm-hmm. So then I'd go on to the control matchup. All right, and we already hedged a little bit there with the with the dive downs and the negates. So I'd probably put some firemind foresight, firemind's research researches like two two researches in the sideboard, two divmizits in the sideboard, mm-hmm. and then what are the other important matchups? Uh, I I would be thinking about what I would want to do for the mirror. Uh, if there's, I'd probably need to test the mirror a lot more before I came to some sort of conclusion there. There's because I haven't played the mirror at all. I don't really know what's terribly important there. Yeah. So that's probably going to be some testing that I'm going to have to do. Just get some reps in with the mirror, see how the games play out. See I think what you're happens. you're having more dive downs than your opponents. Is in order. To, I, I okay. think that's that's very good. Like getting that that niv mizzet to stay in play is just right. Lights out. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the, the yeah. big question to me is always like whether electromancer is good or not and i mm-hmm. i've you know like playing the deck playing various lists you know i board them out a lot in matches where opponents have removal and it's it's a little hard to know you know like against mono red for instance they do have a lot of spells that kill it but if i'm casting electromancer on turn two and then they're taking the time to kill it instead of applying pressure to me yeah that is very similar to me casting a removal spell, mm-hmm. but it also like let them trade a card that they might not have been able to trade for one of my cards. So it's it's this really tough open question, and like part of me wants to solve it by just like not having any electromancers in my deck <laughs> sure. at all. Yeah, I um I like electromancers. Yeah, my number might be like two electromancers mm-hmm. or something. I'm pretty happy to shave on those just because it's a card where if I draw one, I'm happy. Yep, and if I don't have one. It's fine. Yep. So starting from that, like, fun date, like, the foundation that mm-hmm. I've created that's, like, pretty specific to the metagame, I know what the rest of the deck is going to look like, so I can fill out, like, okay, now that we've started with the fact that I know that I want these Zynga Drakes, then, you know, of course I'm going to want the other creatures, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to put in the four uh, Phoenixes and... Three to four Crackling Three to four Drakes. Crackling Drakes. Um, and then we can just, like, fill out the spells from there, mm-hmm. right? We, we're, you know, we're going to need some number of cantrips. Probably want like two of the four mana draw two cards. Oh really? Uh, yeah, I, I like. I think that card is just pretty underplayed in the as in the, is it Drake's? Okay, because a I, lot a lot of the PC players actually cut it from their you know like entirely. one was a kind of common one. Mm-hmm. A lot of players cut it. I think Pascal Viren who who tenoed. I think he played a Marari conjecture in in Whoa. that like flex in slot. That slot? Okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I I think the number that I would lean towards would be two. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that that card is just so powerful. And especially when in sometimes in the late game, you just like need resources yeah. to be able to get back your your phoenixes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the card that really gives you the resources that you yeah. need. I, and I have been very, very happy with it in any slow matchup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also an easy board out in the aggressive matchups. So and it's just so easy to like mill if you, if you yeah. like see it. You could just discard it to your... It's just another... It, in my mind, it's another phoenix mm-hmm. in terms of like the cards that you're pretty happy to put in your graveyard with, sure. the phoenix, with your, your cantrips and stuff. Yep. If you're surveilling and you see it you can just you know ditch it if you like you can decide if you want to keep it if you're playing against like a a deck where resources are super important Mm -hmm. but you know most of the time it's just going to be like a jumpstart card that you have access to in your sideboard or in your graveyard sorry yeah for you know like all right well now i'm down to just this i just drew this land for turn so let's turn it into two cards and see what we can do from there Mm -hmm. 
So yep. yeah, I like that card. But I'm trying to think of any of the other cards in that deck that I, my numbers might be different than other people's on. Yeah. Probably I mean, not. it's pretty much just like picking your cantrip suite at this point because it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. 18 of the cards in your deck. Yeah. So. For sure. Uh, um, yeah. And that's, it, it is a little tough, you know, once you have decided like how many Electromancers, then it's like, you know, how many of these two mana cantrips can I run? They mm-hmm. are really powerful. Um, you know, like against control decks, like I was playing a four Electromancer version, I would just happily cut all of my Electromancers against the control decks. Sure. Uh, yeah. And and so like the deck completely functions regardless of build without Electromancer. It's just how like what quick the off the base where you want to be. Electromancer is like particularly good in. I've so I'm very happy to play it in the like you know, the low removal matchups. Like it it helps against it does help against the white decks because it allows you to just do your stuff a lot faster and they're very, very unlikely to be able to remove it. Right. There's a tension there, though, especially when you're sideboarding, which is that you want to bring in cannonades and it dies to cannonade. And while you can play around that, a lot of times, like, you won't... You either won't know that you have a cannonade or you won't yeah. be able to get to the cannonade without, like, you know, okay, I guess I'll put down this Electromancer so then I can cast three cantrips on my next turn and now I have a cannonade. And, it and eats... now I don't care about this Electromancer. Yeah, so, yeah, so sometimes it works out nicely like that, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's just like, I crap, like I've spent <laughs> this resource like yeah. permanently now. Right. Yeah, um, I, I'm never, I'm, not, I'm never like super excited about electric. I mean, you know, it, it definitely does give you these like feel good turns where you just like, you have an Electromancer in play and you just like, go off right? right and that's awesome but every time that happens i'm just like was that necessary yeah. did i have to have this turn this game or could i have just won anyways exactly exactly so if, if the answer to that is that yeah, i probably could have won anyways mm-hmm. then maybe just kind of yep yep i mean honestly when i look at that card in these is a drake decks i'm like okay that's kind of cute i can see how that could add velocity mm-hmm. but a lot of the time as well i just like you know Maybe maybe instead we just run a, a slightly fewer cantrips. You know, maybe we turn. You know, maybe we turn one of those two mana cantrips into a one mana jumpstart card, like the one that gives haste or something. Mm-hmm. I and saw. If I you saw have that. a lot of drakes, then I think it's totally acceptable to have right. a maximize velocity or two. I honestly, maximize velocity is probably going to be one or two of in my deck. Mm-hmm. Probably no matter what, just because I think that it's very powerful because it's having the one mana card that you can use to. Yeah. cast multiple times is it makes sometimes you can like haste out your your drakes and that's insane mm-hmm. and then other times you can it's just like the only way that i could have ever gotten back my phoenixes yep. this turn was to have this to cast twice or whatever yeah hold your opt like like oh, just yeah. in general anybody right. who hasn't played this deck yet don't cast opt like opt is the best card in the deck <laughs> right. on your phoenix turn yeah. so just like Later don't cast game. opt until you like absolutely have to yeah well and that's honestly i just think a, a pretty good rule of thumb for one mana cantrips true honestly i think that uh the biggest mistake that legacy players make all of the time is turn one ponder mm-hmm. but you know but like why Who knows? My, it's fine you got to turn yeah. two play are like... you are you specifically digging for threats or are you just like casting it because you can because mm-hmm. the number of times that i see somebody with like all right i've got two lands and a threat and some interactive spells and a ponder and they just like snap off their ponder on turn. It's like, what, what were you, what, what were you looking to find? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So same same rule definitely applies, I think, to to opt in this scenario, um, and is compounded on because you get the extra benefit of having utility for it with your phoenixes later. Yeah, yeah. So. 
I think I don't remember who tweeted it, but somebody tweeted out like last week, like um, all these times that people ponder and then just stare at the three cards and don't know if they're supposed to shuffle or not. Like it probably means probably that means you, you shouldn't ponder. Yeah, just just wait. Yeah. Just chill. If you don't know what you're looking for, hang on to it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think playing this deck is teaching me better cantrip discipline yeah. because the cantrips have intrinsic value. And like cantrips do have intrinsic value, but they also have like intrinsic value based on getting back phoenixes. Mm -hmm. And so like that extra weight is making me consider that value a little more. And I think going forward, I'm going to like hopefully maintain that as part of my cantrip game. So yeah, standard is so fun right now. It's yeah, really good. It's great. I have, I have been enjoying it for yep. sure. And there's there's plenty to go. It is standard season. We've got PPTQs coming up. We've got Magic Online PP <laughs> Magic Online PTQs. Um, the Invitationals coming around. The yeah, corner. Invitational is coming up. I, you know, having been in Germany, not queued for it sadly, but I will be doing some some cube <laughs> qualifiers and stuff. So it'll be it'll still be a good weekend. Yeah, for sure. The cube qualifiers. I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just gonna like scrub out of three of them. But uh, no, be, but you get it. Um, I mean, these are not formats that I've ever played just because they're made up formats. So. Yeah, nobody has. Nobody <laughs> knows what this cube looks like yet, except yeah. for Parnell might have an idea. But uh. yeah, I know some people wanted to like put together, wanted to get the list of the cube so that they could put together the cube mm -hmm. to, to test with, yeah. which is like really optimistic because <laughs> getting to the cube is like right. its own difficult journey. So yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, we, we'll have plenty to talk about standard in the future yeah but perhaps that's it for this week I think that covers it for this week for yeah. sure cool um so then should we find a patreon question of the week to do yes let's do it all right so this week's question is from defjad defjad asks i'm least comfortable playing against control decks i feel like i'm behind or they have it right up until i either win or they stabilize do you have any general advice or thoughts on playing against control decks? And I know playing against control decks is like one of your fortes. You really enjoy doing that. I so. love playing against control decks. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, uh, let's see. Your primary focus when playing against a control deck should be making your opponent's life as difficult as possible. <laughs> you really want to do everything and sequence everything so that your opponent's spells don't line up well against yours. Mm -hmm. So... A pretty classic example is if your opponent has up mana on your turn, you need to be really careful in considering what they have access to for that turn. Traditionally in standard, it's pretty simple. They can either have a removal spell or a counter spell. Or a card drawing spell. Or a card drawing spell. We'll get to that in a second. Okay, yeah. all right. Don't, don't mean so, to get ahead of you. So uh, so for, for example, on your opponent's third turn, and this like this has been true in standard for so long because these types of cards have existed in standard for a long time. The types of cards in these control decks are are pretty constant mm -hmm. no matter what. And those cards are two mana removal spells. Cards like Lightning Strike or Cast Down or whatever. Three mana counter spells and then four mana card draw spells. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty constant. So right now, cards that you need to be considering as well in addition to those are... Essence Scatter, which is something that's not always in standard, but it is right now and, and, and relatively heavily paid. So, so on turn on a on a turn where your opponent has up three mana, you really want to be thinking about their counter spells. So you want to be playing the card that you want to be caring least about if you want to play a card that turn. Mm -hmm. But the other really important option that you can have is if you say on turn two you resolved a threat or something, 
and you have a, th a three play mana threat that you want to play that you don't really want to get counterspelled, don't be afraid to just pass the turn. Don't run into your opponent's spells because the plays that your opponent really, the, the sequences that the control player is looking for is on turns two to three, use a spell to interact with a spell, use a spell to interact with a spell, turn four, card draw spell. That's like the sequence that they're all really looking for. Mm -hmm. So if they can interact, interact, draw cards into like potentially like play a planeswalker the next turn, you're that's it. You've lost. Mm -hmm. you, you're, it's over. You know. So on turn three, for example, I'd be really hesitant to just like jam cards into their counter spell if you think that they have one. To be fair though, if you have a threat in play, sometimes you're fine jamming that into the counter spell because then if you think that they have a removal spell and a counter spell, you don't want them to be able to use their removal spell on your guy. Mm -hmm. And then leave you with nothing. And leave you with nothing. So, so if you have a guy in play, I you know definitely jam there. But if you don't have a guy in play, sometimes you just want to pass the turn and, and wait. So, so jamming into or not jamming into like obvious counterspells is a big thing. Mm -hmm. The other really important rule that I really like in standard that's existed for a long time with Glimmer of Genius is if your opponent passes the turn with four mana up, jam every time. Yeah. Because if you allow your opponent to resolve a card draw spell and have that not cost them anything then you're really playing into their plan a lot of the time mm -hmm. so if they if they pass with four mana up you need to be jamming jam into it make them counter spell make them have a removal spell that turn because um, if they can just like for free cast their cast their four mana card that doesn't impact the board at all yep. that's really really bad for you so i always tell people jam into four mana all the time and then the other thing is that don't be, yeah, so I think the, the most important parts are just like try to make your opponent's cards line up as poorly as possible when it comes to like mana considerations is like a really big concept. And then the other thing that can happen is that if you find yourself making land drops and if you find yourself not, if you're if you find your opponent not making land drops, mm -hmm. don't do anything. Yes. Uh, really important. If you if you're making land drops and are just like pretty happy to draw a card, play a land, and pass the turn, and you notice that your control opponent isn't making land drops, mm -hmm. that's really really bad for them. So if you can if you can overload their mana, then definitely do that. So if you can overload their mana and just like start doing things, but then you can like add onto the board, and then they're gonna get stuck, and you're gonna run them over. So mm -hmm. that's good. But the other important thing is that if you can't overload themselves. And you notice that you're just casting one thing that they could answer with their mana, mm -hmm. like turn after turn. Yes. If if you're in that spot where you're you know you're not approaching discarding the hand size, and your opponent is approaching discarding the hand size, mm -hmm. and and your play options are play one thing and allow them to an answer it, or do nothing. Doing nothing is really powerful because you can get your opponent in a spot where they have to either draw a land to play it, or they're going to have to start discarding the hand size. Mm -hmm. And then and then every turn that's just cards. That yep. you're getting out of your opponent's hand. So don't be afraid to take those like unintuitive lines of like just kind of being happy to just chill and pass the turn and and not allow my opponent to cast any of their counter spells or whatever. Sure. And then they start having to go to discard, and then you can develop your mana and then get to a point where you can outmana your opponent. Mm -hmm. So even though your opponent still has seven cards in hand, then you're starting to cast like two spells a turn. They can only answer one of them, and then that tempo is going to be in your advantage. Yeah, and that's especially very good because of the card catch up mechanics that we have in planeswalkers and experimental frenzy like once you start fighting them 
like if you're out manning them and you're forcing them to like cast one spell a turn to your two and then you know even if they manage to catch up on cards somehow and you can just get down one of those like card recuperation engines Mm -hmm. then your mana advantage is just easily capital you can easily capitalize on that yeah one thing a little outside of like here's how to play against control decks that i think can be really helpful for becoming more comfortable playing against control decks is you should pick up a control deck and play it a bunch. True. And yeah. then that helps you see how often they just, you know, they don't always have it. If you're, <laughs> right. like, if your control deck experience is, like, every FNM I go to, I play against this, I play against one of the two guys who bring Teferi decks to FNM, and they always seem to have it, like, the one match I play against them. And then, like, I go to a, a Saturday tournament and I get beat up by a control deck, then it's easy to be in your mind like, God, they always go Essence Scatter into uh, Sinister Sabotage, into Draw Two Cards, into Definite Clarion, into Teferi. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, they always have it. But then if you play it, then, you, uh, like, there's a real good chance that after a couple of matches, you would be like, this deck just isn't that good. Mm-hmm. And then you, you yeah. it'll help you start to see where the holes are, where the openings can come. And that also will give you a better perspective on... Another element that's really important when playing against control decks, which is being able to identify what kinds of pieces your opponent is missing in their hand. Mm-hmm. Because if you can break it down to, like, okay, I can, you can kind of get to a point where you can tell that your opponent has a bunch of removal spells, but no counter spells. Mm-hmm. Because this threat, they obviously would have countered instead of wanting to remove, but they, they removed it, and right. that was awkward for them. Right, like right. A, like a if crackling you... drake, for example, they're gonna want to counter your crackling drake so mm-hmm. that you don't draw the card. But if you see them, if like if you cast your crackling drake into open mana and then they use a removal spell on it, mm-hmm. that's very telling about what they have in their hand. Yep. So being able to identify those things and then use that information to play accordingly in the future is is really really key as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> Chris and I are just breaking everything. We just, we just both need to do things with our hands, and they usually cause disasters. Yeah, I don't know if we want to keep that. In. Yeah, I, I've knocked over like a, a cup like twice this recording, and I just <laughs> broke a sharpie. Chris is, I'm playing with my dredge sideboard right now. We're a mess. Anyways, anyways, yeah, but so so I think those are you know that's some good advice on sequencing against control. Playing with control, I think, is important. It also helps you recognize, you know, like, I've made plays playing against control. And then I've picked up a control deck and, like, seen my opponents make similar plays and been sitting there thinking, like, why would you sequence like that? That's just so bad. And then I just get them with my stuff. And then that helps teach me not to do those things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you see it from the other side and you see what's bad, then you can learn not to walk into exactly what, you know, other people have walked into against you. Right. Control decks do not always have it, especially in standard. The answers don't line up perfectly. The counter spells are expensive, and like making them have it is a big part of beating the standard control decks. Yeah, and at, at some point with enough practice, you you start getting the sequencing right and and recognizing where those holes are. Yeah, but it takes sure. work. It's hard to hard, playing against control decks is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, making them have it is definitely a really important piece, specifically against control decks that run sweepers. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of control decks that run, like, two sweepers in their deck. Mm-hmm. But it feels like a lot of people play as if the control decks run, like, seven sweepers in yeah. their deck. Because everybody's, like, terrified, and they're always, like, not uh, adding to the board all the time and everything. So if I if I think that my opponent has, like, maybe one or two sweepers in their deck, and they haven't cast any card drawing spells and they've been like pretty actively answering the cards on my board Mm -hmm. i'm just jamming onto the board as much as i can 
Uh, and then, you know, if they do end up having the sweeper, then then you got me. Yeah. But if they don't have it, then I just win. So. Right. If you play in a way that you just re- lose to one removal spell every turn, like... Right. You're just going to lose. You're just going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> also, oh, very important for the standard control decks is being aware of Teferi turns. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, number one, like, as, as my basic assumption, like, I, I respect my opponents, and so I assume that... If they're playing a control deck with blue and white in it, they have four Teferis in their deck. <laughs> right, yeah. That means that there is a really good chance that on turn five they have Teferi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want to sequence in a way, in such a way that that is not a disaster for you, if yeah. at all possible. Yeah. Like, making their turn five be like, well, if I play this Teferi, I probably have to minus it. Like, that's really good for you if you can set that up, unless you have no way of punishing that, and they just, like, minus and then untap with Teferi, then that's obviously terrible. Yeah, it's... The the play pattern of turn... Like, if my opponent is ever playing a Teferi on turn 5, or 6, maybe even, mm-hmm. plusing it, passing the turn, and I can't do anything about that, I just... It's over. I feel yeah. like I've lost. They you, are having all to, of the fun for yeah. the rest of the game. Right, yeah. You need to make sure that you are able to pressure that Teferi or have some way of removing it mm-hmm. uh, if, if you're expecting that to happen, for sure. Yep. So, yeah. That's that's playing against control in a nutshell. Maybe we'll, you know, on our stream, we'll hopefully have a couple of matchups like that where we can talk through some of these lines. Yeah. Um, and we will we'll get that date out very soon. Um, but probably... All right, so we have we have consulted, <laughs> we've looked at calendars, we figured out some scheduling stuff. So this episode should come out Thursday, November fifteenth. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do the stream on Sunday, November eighteenth at four p.m. And I will post on Twitter immediately. And here's your announcement if you're listening. But you know, come check out the stream. We'll be on Twitch. Uh, I assume on Collins's It'll Twitch be, account because that's all set up. Me so. and me and Chris hanging out probably on my Twitch account. It's just. Uh, yeah, twitch.tv slash Collins Mullen. And we'll tweet a link to that when we go up. And yeah, cool. I'm looking forward to it. Sweet. Awesome. Well, then that is it for this episode. Um, Thanks to everybody so much for listening. Thanks to our patrons. If you'd like to give us some support, you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or straight to our website, mtggrindcast.com. Get yourself, you know, some tokens. Come hang out in the Discord. You can also go to our website for some one-on-one coaching with Collins. And, yeah, that's it. That should do it. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great weekend. Peace. Peace.